so we are going to be doing a two-part series on Matthew 6. Um, and I, I just, um, you know, I was talking with Josh, and he was asking if I'd be able to preach today. And, um, you know, this chapter's been on my heart a lot. It's been convicting me about um, just the things in life that I'm living for and what I should be living for. Um, and I just really felt compelled to uh, um, share this with everyone here. And then as I was, you know, writing it down, I was, like, getting really into it, and I was realizing I don't think I'm going to be able to fit this into one sermon. So I asked Josh if I could um, have a second week as well. So we're going to cover the first part today. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21, but our main highlight is going to be starting in verse, verse 19. So let's uh, turn there to verse 19. And uh, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my goal with this is I want to show the short-sightedness that comes with living for this world. So to anyone who is not a Christian here or listening to this, you know, w- we must realize that, you know, we as humans come into this world broken and corrupted. And the thing is, no amount of self-pursuits, no amount of doing good or any of that stuff is going to redeem us. It's not going to make us whole. God is ultimately the provision for our salvation through his son, Jesus, who lived out a perfect life, fulfilled the law, and was a propitiation for our sins in that he satisfied the requirements of the law and God's wrath against sin and atoned for our sins so that we might have life in Christ. And so we must turn aside from all other worldly pursuits. We must trust in Jesus, knowing that that is enough. And then my other goal here is for all Christians listening to this. Beyond just this point of salvation, this conversion, this newness in Christ, we are to now live out of our new lives, our new identities in Christ, and fulfill the mission of the church. And so even now, as believers, we must still turn aside from worldly pursuits, turn aside from the treasures and the distractions on this earth, and seek first God's kingdom. So before we really dig into this, I just want to pray for all of us today. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I I thank you for this opportunity to teach again, uh, to teach your word. Lord, I thank you um, how you've been uh, just uh, using this body of Christ to be edifying and building us all up, Lord. God, I pray that you would um, soften our hearts, open our eyes to the truth today that we would um, grow in uh, wisdom and maturity and discernment. And Lord, that we would ultimately seek you, knowing that um, we can trust you for our provisioning, knowing that you are a good father. But Lord, that our, our goal here is not to just receive gifts and to store up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but to look beyond that and to see you and to live for you. So God, I pray for anyone here who is not saved, Lord, that they would come to that awareness and uh, repent and turn to you. And Lord, that we uh, here as Christians also, that we would repent of anything that we have been chasing after that is not for your kingdom. 
Guide us and lead us through this today. And all this we pray. Amen. All right. So first things first, I want to ask. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Is that better? Okay. So first things first, what are treasures? You know, let's talk about that. I think a lot of times the obvious answer is money. But what really is a treasure? You know, I, I like to see it as this. It's something to which we assign worth and value. And as a result, we elevate it in our lives above all other things due to the importance that's that we designate to it. You know, there's um, kind of three big resources in our life that we all possess some level of. Um, money, time, and energy. And so it is where we start to invest those three resources that we really start to see what we're living for. So treasures, they can be anything. They can be anything from financial wealth. They can be uh, popularity, social status. It can be our children's achievements. These things are not inherently wrong. But here in Matthew 6, Jesus is challenging his audience and us today that in throughout this whole chapter that we need to stop striving for the fleeting pleasures of this world. And he's calling us to live for something far greater. So let's look at the first half of this. Let's start breaking it down. So treasures of this earth. Ultimately, what Jesus is getting at here is that there is a futility to pursuing things of the world. He says, where moth and rust destroy. Let's, let's look at that. Everything on this earth, you know, we look at, you can go from the physics angle of it and look at entropy and all this other stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that this world and everything in it, it's spoiling, it's breaking down. And what that means, you know, where things um, are destroyed by moth and rust, what that means is that all this stuff is temporary. You know, we can spend so much of our life building up financial portfolios, retirement accounts, all that stuff. But here's the thing. Economies can collapse. Currencies can lose value. You know, we can, you know, follow all the principles of investing and, you know, we can be diverse and do all these things. But the fact of the matter is, is that things will lose value. You know, currency can lose value. An economy can collapse. You know, we can put so much effort into creating this beautiful home that's Instagram worthy and everybody can rave about it. And we followed, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines and all their um, ideas of what goes into a good home or whoever the next home decor person is. Or we can spend so much time using all of our weekends to build up this nice little castle for ourselves. But you know what? That house can burn down. At the very least, our house is age. And we have to keep putting more and more effort into it looking nicer. You know, we can put so much into our image, our fashion, the shoes we wear, how we do our hair, whatever. But trends will come and go. You know, I, I find it kind of funny. So, like, all of us millennials, you know, we kind of grew up through the 90s as kids. And we look back at our pictures and we're like, oh, my gosh, that clothing and that hair was hideous. How did we survive? But now we kind of see the new generation of Gen X, Gen Zers coming up. And they're, like, making the 90s trends popular again, and they're making it look far better than we ever did. 
you know. So we went from like 90s where it was like grunge and baggy clothing and denim jackets and then the 2000s came in and everybody switched over to skinny jeans and all these other form-fitting clothing. And now we see the pendulum swing and everybody's going back to baggy clothing. And the thing is, is if we put so much of our time into this idea of image, we're just going to constantly swing back and forth between what's popular and what isn't. Vehicles. We always want to have these nice vehicles, these nice toys, because in a sense, vehicles have been marketed to us as a symbol of status for whatever we want. So you can have your nice BMW Mercedes, and that signifies the status of importance and wealth. Or you can go buy a Jeep or a Subaru, and that tells people that you're an adventurer, and you can slap your bumper sticker on saying, not all who wander are lost. You know, we just have all these different mantras that we follow. You know, and, and we get so caught up in, like, having to have the, the biggest truck or the newest car, all these different things, because we're trying to convey this sense of status to people. But guess what? Those vehicles are outdated every single year. Fitness. You know, we can put so much effort into um, our bodies and building up endurance and strength through all these different programs, whether it's uh, CrossFit, bodybuilding, um, you know, Pilates, yoga, marathon training, uh, triathlons, all this stuff, whatever. You know, we can go into all these different, um, you know, there's so many different communities when it comes to fitness. But the fact of the matter is that our bodies are aging, and with every year it gets harder and harder to keep up that fitness level. And not only that, but there are diseases and disorders, you know, things that can come upon us with in blindsight without us even realizing that. You know, our muscles will atrophy. All this stuff is temporary. And like I said, I'm not trying to say that, like, it's all wrong and you can't have any of it. But if that's what you're living for, it's fleeting. I was um, kind of curious, and I decided to do some digging. Anybody remember the Hummers from, like, you know, the 2000s? They were these big, popular vehicles. So I, I saw this little 10-minute video on Business Insider called The Rise and Fall of the Hummer. And, you know, I just, I th watching that, it made me realize just how quickly things can become popular and we put so much effort into it and then it loses value. You know, the Hummer was the epitome of um, status in a supersized consumer culture. They were impractical, they were inefficient for the typical family, yet they were marketed so perfectly that they were hugely popular in our culture. But the thing is that as gas prices started rising and then the economic recession hit, all of a sudden you see Hummers go down in popularity. Suddenly people didn't want to drive them anymore. You know, and now we see this huge change in the last 15 to 20 years where now we're super environmentally conscious. So now everybody wants to start moving into electric vehicles versus like gas powered. Um, you know, so now we're chasing this new status, whether it's the status of driving this new sleek Tesla or signaling to society that we care about the earth. We now chase after a new brand of car. You know, here's the ironic thing. They're actually making electric Hummers now. I just saw an ad from GM, so I guess that's targeted ads since I watched a video on Hummers, but you know. <laughs> so yeah, and so there we go. Now we get the best of both worlds. You can be environmentally friendly and still have supersized consumer vehicles by getting an electric Hummer. You know, but that's the thing, is that this market we live in constantly changes, trying to hit different audiences, and we're always trying to strive and follow all these different things. You know, 
know, there's always going to be a new market of treasures that we can strive after, but it's fleeting. You can chase after it. I'm not saying you can't, but you're going to find yourself striving, and you're going to be tired after a while. You're going to constantly be trying to build yourself up, build up a status, or build something. And despite your best efforts, it's always going to start crumbling. You know, and, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. You know, and even with, like, let's, let's kind of take away just the, the tangible items. You know, we understand the saying, you can't take it with you. And so some people live out that mantra. And, um, you know, so maybe they decide, well, I'm not going to, like, build up this economic, financial empire for myself. Or I'm not going to have all these toys. And, like, I just really care about, like, making sure that my generation is the one that brings the changes into the world. And, you know, I'm going to make sure that I leave this legacy for the next generation, for our children, our great-grandchildren, and for just the um, continuing um, advancement of the human population. But even that can be fleeting, because who knows what the next generation is going to do? You know, we, we followed these political slogans the last four years. Make America great again. Building back better. What's the next generation going to build off of? Is it going to... You know, we can put all this effort into trying to create this conservative or this liberal America, but who knows what the next generation's going to do? They could completely undo everything we did and go in the opposite direction. Same with environmentalism. You know, we can put so much effort into being super environmentally conscious and making sure that this earth is here for many more generations, but who knows whether the next generation will even care and take care of the earth. We can put so much effort into trying to create this capitalistic society or this socialistic society, but who knows what will happen? Yeah, I um, I think it's perfectly summed up in Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, Solomon is reflecting on you know what he thought was a successful life, but looking at chapter two verses eighteen through twenty three, he sums it up perfectly. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a man, a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. I mean, let that sink in. You know, he's getting at this idea that everything on this earth is futile. You know, and that's what we need to understand, is that if we live for that, and that's our legacy, it's futile. Now let's look at the second portion of this statement back in Matthew. You know, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You know, I, I think a lot of times we think of just a thief as someone who's trying to take our possessions. But let's even break it down further. There are people out there who will try to steal our possessions. But not only that, there are also people who will try to steal our status and our happiness and what are our natural responses against these threats? 
We outfit our homes. We put up these grand security systems. We buy, we stockpile firearms. We buy all these various forms of insurance in order to protect our assets. We continuously strive to be the top dog in our industry, in our work, our area of expertise. And we don't want to be forgotten or left behind. So we're constantly building ourselves up. We're constantly competing against everybody else to be top dog. Because well, we can't let someone else show us up. And we're so worried about someone stealing our status that we lie awake at night anxious and restless, constantly trying to figure out how we can get that advancement in our job or how we can get the next thousand followers on social media or stuff like that. You know, even just within our society, we put on this mask of artificiality and pretense because we don't want anyone to know our weaknesses because we're afraid that they will weaponize those weaknesses against us, that they'll try to expose us and bring us down because we spend so much time trying to build up this personal empire this image and we are afraid of the thief who will come in and expose our flaws our fatal flaws this too is all in vain this too is fleeting and futile um, there is a book I really love it's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer I will always encourage everyone here to read that book it's so good um but in this there's a chapter near the end called meekness and rest and what tozer writes i think is spot on to what we deal with and struggle with and wrestle with in society so he writes as long as you set yourself up as a little god to which you must be loyal there will be those who will delight to offer affront to your idol how then can you hope to have inward peace? The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight, to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy, will never let the mind rest. Continue this fight through the years, and the burden will become intolerable. Yet the sons of earth are carrying the burden continually, challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under every fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. You know, and those resonate with me because for me, I very much struggle with self. I struggle, I idolize and try to create this image um, for to display to the world, to show myself as this put-together guy, this successful guy. And, you know, I read this stuff, and I, I totally get what he's, what he's saying because I feel that. I, I wrestle. I toss sleepless at night sometimes because I'm trying to protect myself from other people who will try to, um, you know, expose or um, try to belittle me. You know, and I think many of us know this feeling all too well. You know, I think many of us wrestle with this in our own culture. You know, we are constantly trying to assert ourselves in our careers and our social circles. And we constantly try to build up for ourselves something. You know, um, you know, <laughs> so here's, here's something that's kind of funny is, you know, on our social media profiles, there's always kind of that little description bar. And in that you get like 160 characters maybe to try to like describe yourself. Um, so I used to have Instagram. I got off of it just because it was becoming unhealthy for me. But, like, I still remember, like, you know, the thought process of what I was going to put into this little description so that when people saw my profile, they'd want to, like, follow me or whatever. 
And it was like things like um what was it? I put down like coffee and donut enthusiasts, you know, let people know that I'm a bit of a foodie and you know, I'm an excitable person and you know, I love weightlifting and you know, that lets people know that I'm into the fitness game and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe somebody will stumble along and want to follow me. And, you know, and then it's like, you know, pursue healthiness, but don't forget the occasional donut. It lets people know that I'm really disciplined and serious, but I still like to have my treats along the side. You know, I'm a really balanced person. And then, of course, you know, in the end, I got to put my favorite Bible verses down. I put down, like, Romans chapter 12, and that lets people know that I'm also a Christian. So, like, I've got all these little snippets in this 160-character um description of my profile so that just in case people stumble along and see it they'll like want to follow me and that's what we do like we create these personas these profiles on social media for the world to see and we get this little little writing of ourselves that we can put out there so that people can quick read a synopsis of who we are and you just see it all over the place you see things like like, not all who wander are lost or, you know, like, adventurers out there because we want to signify to the world that we are the adventurer and that we are the fun-loving person who's always hiking up mountains or finding these obscure parks to go to, you know? Or we put down things like, um, uh, I don't know, like, grain-free since 93 or vegan or all this stuff to let people know that we are the source to go to if you want to follow how to be, like, vegan or paleo or keto or all that stuff, whatever, you know? And... If that's what we reduce ourselves to, like, no wonder why we're tired. No wonder why we're constantly striving. Because we're trying to, like, take these little little bits and pieces of the world around us and say, this is my identity. I have influence. Follow me. But if we're all doing that, then we're all going to start competing against each other. And we're going to see what Jesus is saying here, where thieves break in and steal. You know, uh, let's continue on with what Tozer has to say here. So he continues on in the chapter. There is hardly a man or woman who dares to be just what he or she is without doctoring up the impression. The fear of being found out gnaws like rodents within their hearts. The man of culture is haunted by the fear that he will someday come upon a man more cultured than himself. The learned man fears to meet a man more learned than he. The rich man sweats under the fear that his clothes or his car or his house will sometime be made to look cheap by comparison with those of another rich man. I am sure that most people live in secret fear that someday they will be careless and by chance an enemy or friend will be allowed to peep into their poor empty souls. So they are never relaxed. Bright people are tense and alert in fear that they may be trapped into saying something common or stupid. Traveled people are afraid that they may meet some Marco Polo who is able to describe some remote place where they have never been. This unnatural condition is part of our sad heritage of sin, but in our day it is aggravated by our whole way of life. Advertising is largely based on, largely based on this habit of pretense. Courses are offered in this or that field of human learning, frankly appealing to the victim's desire to shine at a party. Books are sold, clothes and cosmetics are peddled by playing continually upon this desire to appear what we are not. Here's the thing. This book, The Pursuit of God, was published in 1948. But how relevant is it still in our society today? 
we still see this, this, this peddling of goods and services to build up a personal icon, a personal brand that we can sell to the world. And here's the thing. When Jesus finishes, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If these earthly treasures can spoil, they can break, they can become outdated and obsolete, and our hearts cling to these treasures, what do we ultimately gain from it? More striving. We just keep striving. Our hearts will continually be filled with an anxiety, a stress, as we try to protect these treasures and try to hoard them all in the corner and keep them safe. We will burn ourselves out trying to serve these false gods in our lives. And the thing is, we, we will be tossed around by the waves of culture as values change with each generation. I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old now, and I'm getting to the point where I'm now old enough to see how trends have changed. You know, we went from this, like, you know, I remember in high school, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, like, you know, people didn't really honestly care that much about the environment. It was all about consumerism. And now we're switching over to this super um, environmentally friendly thing. And who knows where we're going to be in 20 years. But the thing is, you know, we see this constant swinging back and forth. We see it in political results. You know, America as a whole, like, we have a Republican president for four to eight years. We get sick of that side. Then we go to the Democratic side. Then we go back and forth. You know, and we see this um, switch between just trends with food and with clothing and all these things. And that's where our hearts are if that's our treasure. It's constantly trying to find, okay, this is what's popular and valuable. Oh, wait, okay, now this is what's popular and valuable. We're always going to be stressed out if our hearts are steeped and based in the things of this world. So let's look at the flip side of this. If what Jesus is getting at is that earthly treasures are futile, then what's the flip side? The flip side of this is heavenly treasures. And so what are the benefits of that? Jesus says, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think about that. So if we start to put our resources, our time, our money, our energy, into the things of God's kingdom, into his church. We are investing into heavenly treasures in that the things that we do for God will last because it's what God has called us to do as his church. They won't spoil or break. They won't be stolen away by someone our hearts will be grounded and rooted in the things of God's word, his church, his kingdom. And I, I really want to, you know, hit this home here. Like, I'm not trying to say that, you know, as a Christian, if you have an earthly treasure, you're going to hell. No, this isn't this black and white, like, you must not have anything of this earth. What Jesus is getting at here, though, is that if you call yourself a follower in Christ, you have a choice. You can choose to pursue the things of this world, or you can choose to pursue the things of heaven. 
but we will not grow and mature if we just kind of stay over here in the things of the world. You know, um, I want to backtrack a little bit into the first part of Matthew 6, because we have to remember the context of who he's speaking to. He's preaching to the Jews, and one of their things that they really, really valued was following the law. That was a big part of their culture. And so let's take a look. There's three, there's, um, three specific sections that Jesus speaks out against this in this idea of living for the world versus living for God's kingdom. You know, so he points out these um, religious acts of his day. And he speaks out against some of the superficial methods that people were using. So in verses 1 through 4, he says, Beware of practicing your righteous before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. When it comes to praying, Jesus says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He also talks about fasting in verses 16 through 18. And he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And so you see how he's speaking out against the values of their day. Because for many of the religious leaders, for many of the people who wanted to um, promote themselves through their own self-adherence to the law. They did those things. They made this big showy thing to show people that they were a very generous person. Oh, look at me giving to the poor here. Or they'd make these super wordy and um, audacious prayers so that people would know that they're a really good prayer. Um, you know, and they would do their fasting and they made themselves look so miserable so that people could see, oh, look at this saint over here who is just really... Uh, in pain, but so devoted. You know, and you know what Jesus says ultimately? Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. The fleeting praise of men and women. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, in our day and age, like, religion is not so popular anymore. But depending on the different spheres, the different um, cultures we find ourselves in, there are certain values, and we try to live those out. Now, specifically, let's talk about the church. You know, if we're in the church culture, and we're trying to build up churches for ourselves here on earth, look, I could be here preaching this sermon to elevate myself, to gain a following. You know what my reward is? It's, it's um, this, just this, this temporary moment of being able to preach and say, oh, look at me preaching to everybody. And someone may come up and pat me on the back and say, hey, good job today. And that's it. That one moment of someone praising me is the fleeting pleasure. You know, we may be able to get on stage and be part of the worship band, and someone will say, oh, you have such beautiful vocals, or you play the guitar so well. And if that's what you're living for, if you're there to serve yourself, that is your reward, that fleeting moment of praise from someone else. Or if you... Um, are in the church and you are concerned with, um, uh, let's say you're trying to be super audacious about like, um, you know, the way you pray or speaking in tongues or things like that. And if you're doing it with the wrong heart, your reward is that fleeting moment of praise you might get from someone who says, oh, you're just so spiritual the way you pray or speak in tongues or any of those things. 
So if we are going to be a church rooted in the word of God, rooted in the Holy Spirit, rooted in our faith, we cannot live for these little moments of praise from men and women. Because that's all we have if that's all we live for. But Jesus promises us that we will have treasures in heaven if we seek first God's kingdom. So let us look to that. You know, Jesus is ultimately calling us to an abundant and a fulfilling life. He's not calling us to be, in a sense, these like, um, you know, peasants who can't have anything nice. He's calling us to put that stuff aside, though, so that we can pursue an abundant and fulfilling life in him. But we must realize that the deeper and more meaningful life is found in him and his kingdom, not in our own kingdoms here on this earth. <laughs> I, I get really uh, emotional, worked up when I'm up here. Um, you guys have probably seen that a few times when I've preached. Um, and I'm not trying to be this fire and brimstone guy. I'm not trying to come up here and tell you that um, everything we do is for naught. Um, I'm not trying to come up here and just shame everybody and scold you and wave my finger. Um, I wrestle with this too. Um, you know, for me, I spend so much time worrying about how people perceive me. And so I try to create this image. Um, I'm very self-critical about myself. I'm self-critical about how my house looks. I always try to make sure it looks super presentable. You know, I even catch myself, like, if a picture gets posted or snapped or whatever, like, I find myself sometimes even just, like, organizing things in the house so that it looks, like, proper for the picture or making sure that, like, little things get into the picture so people can see, oh, wow, look at how they decorate their house. You know, I even catch myself sometimes being critical to my own wife <laughs> we have this fight over a sweatshirt. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm a little more image conscious about myself, and Angela has this uh, sweatshirt that's, I don't know, what, 10, 12 years old, something like that? Okay. And I just think it's, like, kind of ratty. It looks kind of old. It's not the nicest, and Angela loves it. She absolutely adores this sweatshirt. She always likes to wear it. And I'm like, why do you want to wear that? Like, it looks so, like, old and trashy. Like, don't you care about how people think you look? And she's like, but it has sentimental value. I want to keep I'm like, you should get rid of it. She's like, but it means so much to me because it's from my college days. And I'm like, but it looks so crappy. <laughs> and, like, but even in that, you see, like, you know, you laugh and think it's just something minor. But even in that, you see where my heart's at is that I'm worried about how people will perceive us and our image by how we dress. And how fleeting and shallow is that? You know, I can sink so much time into fantasy football. You know, I, I like fantasy football. It's a big hobby of mine. But I can spend so much time in that. And I can spend hours doing research and making trade offers and doing all this fun stuff. And then I got into Dynasty Leagues where now it's like a continual team in which you from year one till whenever you guys decide to quit, like you just keep building up this team and bringing in new talent and rookies and whatnot. And I can spend so much time digging into that. But you know what? Like, what happens if I lose? Like, it was all for naught, all that time I invested. And what happens if I win? which is very rare because I just don't have good luck in fantasy football. But 
what happens if I win? Like, I get to pat myself on the back and say, oh, yay, I did it. I actually won the championship this year. And then nobody cares when the next season comes around. Like, and if that's what I'm living for, it's, it's shallow. It's fleeting. Now, <laughs> you know, I don't want this to just turn into this, like, roast fest where it's like, Dale, you suck at fantasy football and you're too worried about your image. Boom, roasted. But what I'm trying to get at here is, like, even in these, these small things or these big things, like, I'm trying to show just if that's our treasure, that's our, our God that we're serving, look how shallow it is. And so at the end of the sermon, you know, I, you may feel like I've kicked out all the supports of the castles that you may have built up. You know, it may feel like there's nothing left to live for or that there's nothing that you can stand on that is solid. But let's not despair here because there is hope at the end of this. There is hope. There's always hope. And I want to direct us to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. So in this section, Paul writes, For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so there is a day, every single one of us here, there is a day when we will all be held accountable for our lives. And in a sense, there's three possible outcomes. The first thing is that if you do not have Jesus Christ as your foundation, then you will not be saved from eternal damnation. And this is so critical here. Do not let this just go by. Like I said before, we all are broken, imperfect humans. And perfection, perfect adherence to God's law, a perfect life is required in order to be saved. That was accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so now we have a choice. We can trust and place our faith and say, yes, Jesus' life, his atonement for my sin is enough. Or we can say, nah, you know, I'm going to try my own things over here. I'm going to try just live my own good life, or I'm just going to try to live for the pleasures of this world, or I'm just going to try to live you know, uh, a pretty moral life and, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm building up a legacy for the next generation. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your foundation, you have nothing to stand on. You will not be saved. And so I challenge, I encourage you, I implore anyone here listening, that if you do not have Jesus Christ as your foundation, turn aside from your other pursuits and repent and turn to him and trust that Jesus's life, his blood was enough for you to be saved. And start living in that newness of life. Now to the believers here. We too have a choice. 
we have the foundation that is Jesus Christ that has been laid down in our lives. But now we must choose what we will build on that foundation. Are we going to build with earthly tools, things that will burn and perish? Or are we going to build with things that are imperishable, things of God's kingdom? Because here's the thing. We too will be held accountable. We too will in a sense, be tested for what our work on this earth was. If you lived for the things of this world, okay, you're saved. But everything you did will burn up. And you yourself will be saved, but will experience massive loss. You know, Paul, I, I'll say it again. Paul writes, if Anyone's work is burned up. He will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In a sense, you will make it in by the skin of your teeth because you have the foundation of Jesus. But everything you built for all that investment in this little blip we call life along this huge spectrum of eternity, it will all burn up. And that's all you had. Or we can choose to build for God's kingdom where things are imperishable. We can build with gold and silver and costly stones. And the things that are imperishable, the things of God's kingdom, they will not burn up when they are tested by that fire. And that will be our reward. You know, and I know this sounds a bit of an incentive, like we need to get rewards in heaven. And it's not, I know that's always a tough one. Because the thing is, God is saying that he loves us as a good father and he will reward us. But he doesn't want us pursuing these futile things of the earth. He wants to pursue his kingdom. And if we are faithful and obedient, he will bless us. And maybe not always in this life, but in the life to come, there will be blessing and reward. So we must pursue what is imperishable. Because in the end, in the very end, everything we did will be tested by fire. It will all be burned up or it will be survive. So once again, if you are here, you are not a Christian, do not leave today without that foundation. I encourage you, you know, during our last set of worship, go with the prayer team or even just um, talk with Josh or me or someone. If you are a Christian here and you are convicted of the things you've been living for, repent of that, turn away and start building for God's kingdom. It's not too late. It's never too late. But remember the perspective of this, that we are not living for this earth. This earth will burn up at some point. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so do you want to go into eternity with God with nothing but your own soul? Or do you want to go in with a fulfilled, abundant life, with maturity in Christ because you were obedient and faithful to what he called you to do? So once again, knowing all of this today, let us cast aside our idols. Let us cast aside all distractions and treasures of this earth in order to live out how God called us to be. Think of what we can do as Mercy Hill Church when we are submitted to Christ, when we are obedient. We're not, I know right now we're in a period where at the end of the year this building is up for sale and we right now don't have the funds or resources to just go off and buy a new building and we're not sure where God's calling us. But if we are obedient and faithful to what he's calling us to do, this church 
will remain established on Jesus, who is our rock. Whether we have this building or some other building or whether we just kind of keep traveling for seasons. You know, it's not about trying to get this grand building with tons of land and this massive steeple and the state-of-the-art building so that we can say, everybody come worship with us. We can seat like 5,000 people. Because even if that's our goal as a church, that too, if that was our heart, it will burn up. We must live out how God called us to be. We must live out the Great Commission, evangelizing and discipling others, welcoming people into this church and building and edifying the church body and being knit and sewn together into the head of the body, which is Christ Jesus. And so I encourage every single one of us here, let's reflect on this as we go into worship, as we go throughout our day, every single day, let's be in the word, let's be um, engaged with our church body, and let's grow by building for God's kingdom together. So... With that is my awkward transition from the end. I'm going to pray, and uh, like I said, during worship, I would just ask if you have anything you need prayer for or anything that you just feel convicted by, I encourage you, go to um, the back room. Um, as you head out the hallway, it'll be on your right. Um, the prayer team will be in there, and they will be willing to pray and um, minister to you. So, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much uh, for this time. Lord, just the way your, your Holy Spirit uh, speaks to us through your word, through prayer, uh, through other circumstances. Lord, and I thank you that this world, you know, although we are called to be in it, we are not called to be of it. And although it's temporary, we know that there is something far greater out there for us. So, God, I pray that you would equip us, strengthen us to live for you and your kingdom and not for our own. Guide us and lead us, Lord. We are in need of you every single day. And Lord, when we trip, when we get distracted, we thank you for the grace you show us. So just help us to turn to you each and every time and to just rely on your love and grace and your correction. We just pray for all of this today. In your son's holy name, amen.